Welcome, guys. So good, so good to see you. Really good to see you. Those who are online, those who are with us this morning, um, hopefully that you're starting to experience some kind of uh, normal way of going back to, to fellowship. I know there's still some differences and some obstacles, but it's just such, such a blessing uh, to have you here this morning and to listen to God's Word. I'm assuming that uh, a lot of you are here this morning um, because you really want to be here. You know, um, these days it's almost like, you know, you've got to really want to come if you want to come because you need to register. So I'm assuming this morning um, that you, you really want to be here this morning, that you've made a decision to come and you've made a decision to come. Thank God you made a decision to come not to listen to me. Thank God you made a decision to come this morning because you want to hear from the Lord. And as you hear from the Lord this morning through song and through the message and through fellowship afterwards, that you take away this morning something that is going to... Um, um, define you more and more uh, in the things of the Lord, that your soul, the most precious thing that God has given you, your soul, is the very thing that uh, you take care of this morning. Remember last week I shared with you what does it profit someone if they gain the whole world but they just lose their soul, you know, because we know that in life there's so many things that we chase after, isn't there? Just think about it for a moment. Think about the things you've chased for the last week, month, year, 10 years, the things you've been chasing after, the things that people chase after. But we know Jesus is so wise, he's so smart, he just tells us, he cares so much for our souls and he says, you know, what does it profit someone if they gain the whole world and then just lose their soul? Because for him, the most precious thing is your soul. That's what he died for. That's the thing where he sees the pain, the anguish, the disturbance, the, the hurt. He sees this and he wants to restore this. He wants to restore. And the psalmist says, he restores my soul. You know, and that's what I believe that Jesus wants to do, and I believe that's what he wants to do this morning. And if you open your heart this morning, you know what? I can almost say, I guarantee you, you know, Jesus will restore your soul and begin that journey of restoring your soul, you know. Um, and so I, I, I know that he is a, a God who wants to do this, and, he, and the Father sent his Son for this very, very purpose. And I pray this morning as we listen to God's word that our hearts are ready and open uh, to hear this. So let's pray. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on, on the word this morning and um, on those things that uh, I've, I've mentioned as well. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for today. Thanks you so much, Lord God, that you have brought us here. You've given us life, breath to come, and most importantly, a soul to come and listen to your word. Father, we pray that by the Holy Spirit, you may speak into our lives, that you may work a miracle, a miracle beyond our understanding, beyond the things that we think and see and comprehend. And Lord Jesus, that you would do the work because you are God and you can. And Lord, we pray, we pray your blessing on all that is said and done this morning. Father, as the other, other things begin in our fellowship as well, whether they be childcare or Sunday school or youth or young adults or whatever's happening, Father, we pray that you continue to bless with your great blessing because we know when you build, Father, we don't labor in vain. And so we ask your blessing to be upon these things. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time. We need you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 this morning um, in the New Testament, a story of Jesus interacting with a couple of people. I want to read this story to you this morning and God willing we can actually um, uh, hopefully be able to understand a bit more what the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to communicate to us this morning. So Luke chapter 7, your heart's ready? 
Are you feeling your hearts are ready to hear God's word? You know, I pray that they are. I really pray that they are ready to hear God's word, that, uh, uh, that we're, re- we're just opened. You know, some of us will be open to hear God's word this morning, um, and maybe some of us may be a little bit nervous to hear God's voice this morning. But rest, just rest, just rest, knowing the love of Jesus is far greater than you can comprehend. The love of Jesus isn't a set of rules. It's not a set of rules. The love of Jesus is far greater. He wants to restore souls. He wants to heal, mend, give life and life abundantly and life eternally. And just rest. Rest in his love. Rest in his love. Ever watched a movie where there's a guy and a girl dating? And um, they're not the movies I usually watch, but sometimes I watch those movies. Um, There's a guy and a girl dating and she's just head over heels in love with this guy, infatuated by his love. But for him it's kind of like, yeah, it's all right, you know, it's okay, it's, it's a thing, you know. He's, he's enjoying the time with her, but he's not necessarily absolutely committed to her. But, you know, he's, he, he, he likes her enough to want to hang out with her and spend time with her, but she's just like, you know, he's the best thing in the world and she's just in love with him and, and, um, and will do anything he wants to do. And, and, and this, this is kind of how the relationship goes. But in the movie, in the background, there's another guy. And in the background, there's another guy who really, really loves this girl. Really loves this girl. You know, who's absolutely committed to her, will do anything for her, will will protect her, you know, will will guide her, will guard her, will provide for her, will even lay down his life for her. But she can't see it. She can't see it because she's just so caught up with this guy that's got a bit of charm, he's got the words, maybe he's got a bit of money, and she's just infatuated by this love. And, and at the end of the day, even though she, he's, not that, he's not that really that serious about her, you know, and someone else is in the background, she's just blind to this. And it's such a beautiful illustration of life, such a beautiful illustration of how we do life, how many people do life. There's all these little loves that we have in life, all these things that we're so infatuated about, so, so head over heels about. We think it's the best thing in the world and we, we love so many things in life and we love people and things and we're so in love with these things and yet there's someone in the background who's saying, I, I want to give you more than this. I, I love you completely. My, my commitment to you is beyond anything and I'll even lay down my life for you. And we don't, say, we don't see this great love because we're so blinded, if you like, by all these little loves that are around us. Until we come to a place in life where we realize that all these little loves around us really are not committed to us. They're really not giving what they're promising. They're not delivering. And at the end of the day, they can't save our souls. And they can't give us the peace and the rest that we hope maybe they would have given us. Until we come face to face with the Savior, the true love of our lives, the creator of our souls, who turns around and says, I love you. I love you. I want you. I want you. I don't want anyone else but you. And when we come to that realization, our hearts and our lives change forever. They change for good. They change for eternity. And we begin to understand the love of the creator. And that itself, that itself makes us run away from our old lives. Not laws and rules. Not a set of conditions. This is how Christians live. And we run to it because they're conditions. No, it's the very fact that we've come to taste and understand and comprehend the the intense depth of Christ's love for us. That he would save a sinner like me. And when we come to understand this, there's nothing else in this world that could ever compare with this love. 
In this love we find rest. In this love we find peace. In this love we find security. In this love we find hope. This is the love of Christ that transforms lives. And without this love, you don't know life. And how great is this love? And I pray this morning that you're able to somehow maybe see a touch or taste a little bit of this amazing love that he has. There's a story in the Bible about the lady who goes to the house of a Pharisee called Simon. And um, she's just overwhelmed by her sense of shame. She's overwhelmed by her sense of guilt. She's overwhelmed by the sense of her life and the lifestyle she lived. Most likely a promiscuous lifestyle that was, that was um, probably for a season she was indulging this because it gave her what she needed. And she's overwhelmed by this lifestyle and she, she, she comes to a place in her life where she's hearing about Jesus and she's, her heart is moved. She, she wants to stop what she's doing because all the, the things that she's doing hasn't satisfied her and she's now come to Jesus and wants to resolve this once and for all. And she enters into the house of a man called Simon, a Pharisee, and she, she confronts, not confronts, but she approaches Jesus with great repentance in her heart. There's great sadness and hope at the same time. Perhaps a little bit of fear and faith at the same time. She approaches him and she finds this interaction changes her life forever. But there's someone in the background called Simon, a Pharisee who was a religious leader of the day that really struggled with this. He really struggled to understand what's going on here because he's trying to think to himself, what, what is this? This isn't right. This isn't, how, this isn't how my religious mind thinks. This isn't how my, my, my traditional mind thinks. This isn't right. This man who says he is who he is, he shouldn't be doing this. And yet, right before his eyes, Simon is witnessing God's heart. And he can't see it. And it's a beautiful story of love and compassion. And it's a beautiful story of religion and love. And it's a beautiful story of restoration and healing. Or if you like, restoration and, in other ways, bondage. And this story reminds us of how great God's love was for us. And I want to just share with you a few thoughts about this, this story here. And if we go to chapter 7 in Luke, verse 36, and let's start with verse 36. The Bible says, Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. So he's a Pharisee, he's probably early in the ministry of Jesus, and because it was early in the ministry of Jesus, it's probably the reason he asked him to come and eat with him, because at that time there wouldn't have been enough public outcry against him. Maybe even amongst the Pharisees themselves, there wasn't enough kind of um, um, collaboration or, or kind of agreement about who he was, and so there was still a kind of a little window of opportunity perhaps to Simon to invite him to his house to eat. Now, why did Simon invite him to eat? We're not really told. Was he doing it for looks? Was he doing it because, oh, you know, if I've got Jesus in my house, it looks pretty cool, yeah, because, you know, he's, he's like considered to be someone, and maybe everyone's going to think I'm even better. Is he doing it for looks? I don't know, maybe. Just like people maybe do, do think certain things in their own faith for looks. Maybe people do certain things because they think this is going to look really, really good if I do this. Was he doing it out of curiosity? 
Was he really genuinely curious? What does Jesus have to say? I want to invite him to my house and I'm going to ask him some questions. I think it's that more, but nonetheless, we're not really told. But he invites him to his house. And if he was curious, boy, he was going to get a lesson. He was going to get a big lesson if he was curious about what this Jesus, who this Jesus was about. But what's interesting is he comes and he sits with Jesus and he has a meal with Jesus. Now, I love this picture because it's what the church does all the time. They sit down and they have a meal with Jesus. They do it all the time. They sit down on a Sunday morning and they have a meal with Jesus. Jesus feeds them. They do it all over the world. During a a, a midweek Bible study, Jesus feeds them. And some people do it grudgingly. (laughs) They go to church grudgingly when it's all kind of normal again. It's like a child who's maybe in his room gaming and and mum or dad or or they're playing outside in the yard and they're playing on the trampoline or football or whatever and the mum and dad calls them in for dinner. It's like, all right, I'll come to dinner. And they come for like really, really quickly so they can go back to what they're doing. They'll come and have a meal grudgingly. But a lot of people come to church also to have a meal with Jesus, but that's where it stops. It's a meal with Jesus. They'll go home, and what they've eaten, what they've eaten hasn't really impacted them in any way. Now, what's happening in their lives is they're just enjoying this meal with Jesus every week, every Sunday morning, every midweek Bible study. They're just enjoying a meal with Jesus. But Jesus desires to teach us something that is of a life lesson that will last forever and for eternity. But Simon is interested. He wants to have a meal with Jesus. Come, Jesus, let's have a meal. Let's have a meal together. But a meal with Jesus isn't enough. A meal with Jesus isn't, Jesus' heart's desire isn't to have a meal with us. Jesus' heart's desire is to spend the rest of your, his life with you, every day with you. It's like, it's like he, I would imagine, it's like he aches his heart because he, he, he's sharing with you a meal, but he wants to spend every day with you. You know, there's a passage in the Bible that says this, later on in Luke. Jesus says, then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And it's a really powerful thing that Jesus says, because the people are saying, hang on a sec, why are you, why are you rejecting us? This is, this is like in the last day, on the judgment day. The people are saying, why are you rejecting us? You, ate in our, you taught in our streets, you, you ate in our presence. And Jesus said, yeah, I did that, but I don't know you. That reference to I don't know you is that we don't have any relationship because you are a worker of iniquity. This is your occupation. You go out every day, you wake up, and you live life as you want to live it. You have no regard for the things of God. You are overcome by your own things and your own sin. He said, you're a worker of iniquity. Your occupation is sin. This is your lifestyle, and, and, and I don't know you because of this, because I came to rescue sin. I came to deliver you from this very thing. But Simon comes. He wants to invite Jesus for a meal, and the Bible says, verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now, alabaster, you would probably know, it's kind of that sort of white-looking uh, jar that sort of, um, uh, they would, she obviously stored her fragrant oil. 
Again, some people suggest, which is really interesting if this was the case, and I'm only saying it's a suggestion. Some people suggest this beautiful, fragrant oil supported her promiscuous lifestyle. So she brought this in. She brought this in as she came to Jesus. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. It's quite fascinating what's going on here. She stands just behind Jesus, weeping. I wonder if how many of us in this room understand, and I want you to think about this for a moment, have experienced what it means to weep over your sin. I want to have us in this room of un- understand and have experienced and felt what it means to weep because of your sin. Because you've done something that, yes, may have affected yourself, may have affected other people, but especially has affected your, affected your relationship with Jesus. And I wonder how many of us have experienced weeping over sin. And here she is this morning, uh, here she is this lady, comes to Jesus, stands just behind him and weeps, is weeping. Do you remember the story of Peter? When Peter denies Jesus? Towards the end of Jesus' life, Peter denies him. Jesus warned him, Peter, be careful, because when the rooster crows three times, you're gonna, before that happens, you're going to deny him. And, and Peter denies him, and the rooster crows, and Jesus, the Bible's beautiful. Jesus, the Bible just says, Jesus looked at him. In other words, they, they face-to-face. And that's all, that's all that needed to happen. Jesus didn't have to say anything. He just looked at Peter. And the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. He wept Bitterly. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that you know, if you haven't wept over your sin, you're not a Christian and that kind of thing. But I tell you the truth, if you are a Christian, I'm pretty sure at some time of your life, you would understand what I mean when I say weeping over your sin. Weeping over your sin. Because you come to understand the depth of the pain that you have caused the Savior to take him to the cross. And that you've done this. You've done this. And that you are worthy of nothing else but hell. And because of this, and when you see the love of God, that is, you get a glimpse. You get a glimpse of the fact that he wants to be merciful to you. You get a glimpse of the fact that he loves you and he wants to heal you and forgive you and restore you. You can't help but be brought to tears. And that's what he's asking you this morning. Will you come to me with everything? All the things you're disgusted about. All the things that pain you. All the things you're ashamed of. Everything. No matter what it is, will you be really honest with me and bring it all? 
And if you can get a glimpse of his mercy, and I hope you'll see this this morning, that you will come, perhaps weeping, but you will come wanting this. Because what happens is that love, if you like, chases her lover. I don't know how this woman came into the house. <laughs> it's pretty bold of her. You know, there was a tradition where people would wander through people's houses and doors would be left open. But she came into this man's house, a Pharisee, who was a sinner, they called her. She wanders into this man's house. I'm wondering, with what emotion is she wandering into this man's house? Was she afraid? Was she fearful? Was she hopeful? Was she excited? Was she, was she determined? But whatever was her feeling and expression, her, her emotion, she came into this man's house and I think it was an act of boldness because she was sick of her life. She was over it. What is man going to say to her? What are they going to say to her? Oh, look, you're a sinner. Well, she knows that. Oh, you're hopeless, you're useless. She knows that. She feels that. What is man going to say to her? And so she comes with a desperation in her heart. And this is why so many people fail to understand what salvation is because they think they come to Jesus somehow entitled for forgiveness. Oh yeah, he's going to forgive me because I, that's what he says he's going to do. No, we don't come entitled. We come unworthy, un- incapable, unable to save ourselves. And he rescues us. From these things, we come saying, God, I've tried and tried and tried and I can't. And He rescues us from this sin because this is the taste of His mercy. This is the love of God. So, what does she do, brothers and sisters? What does she do? She weeps, washes, dries, and anoints His feet. And she uses the fragrant oil to do this. Now, if this oil funded, not funded, supported her promiscuous lifestyle, she was saying to Jesus, I'm done with it. I'm pouring it out. No more. I'm pouring it out your feet. Isn't this love? Isn't this a woman who is so... Ashamed of who she is and so reassured of the love of God that she would pour out her oil on him. The strength of love is, is unbelievable. We think our little loves are strong, but the strength of God's love or Christian love is unbelievable. Listen to Song of Solomon. Set me as a seal, which is a, a book of love in the Old Testament. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. If a man said, here, I won't give you my love, I'll give you all my house. No, because love is greater than that. Waters cannot drown it. They cannot quench it. And this is what we're seeing here, a woman who's so in love with Jesus that isn't going to let man, woman, or pride, shame stop her. Look at verse 39. 
Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. Can you imagine, can you imagine this religious man saying, like he spoke to himself, like as if to say, like, I don't know, maybe he's reflecting on what he's seeing, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. See, this, it's amazing. <laughs> you see here before him, the heart of God is witnessing the mercy of God, is witnessing the salvation of God, and all he can think about is, oh, she's a sinner. And if he really was God's prophet, he'd be able to, he'd get this because he doesn't get it, he mustn't be of God. Because that's what religion does to you. You see, you look at, you look at the, the, the shame of people's lives and it makes you feel better. Oh, I'm not like that person. <laughs> you know, you know I'm, I'm, not, I'm bad, but not, not that bad. And all of a sudden you look at other people's lives and you feel better about yourself, but Jesus looks at you and says, what? What are you doing? You think your sin's any better? You really think that just because, because she's living like this and you just want to have a few white lies here and there, that somehow you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Get over it, because that's not how it works. What works is this. You have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and I've come to heal you. I've come to free you from this. But what's interesting is that he makes these assumptions about her. He makes these assumptions about this woman, and I think, I think it's, a, it's a really fascinating picture of how the church or Christians can fall into a religious mindset that says that creates judgments and assumptions of each other based on little pictures and glimpses of what we see about people. We, we hear them say something or we, we see them do something or how they might be at work or how they, um, how they are at home or how they might parent their children and all of a sudden they, we get these little glimpses of their lifestyle and we think we know their whole life. And we make assumptions and judgments of their life when really we have no idea what they're going through. We have no idea what their experiences are. We see a glimpse of it. And there's a whole, you know, like they talk about the tip of the iceberg. We see the tip of the iceberg. And there's a massive iceberg underneath. And only if we took the time to stop and listen and ask, we would probably walk out realizing we're the ones that should be ashamed. But this man is making a judgments and assumptions on this lady. And it's, it's wrong because it's only half truths. Even quarter truths. No wonder why sometimes people in the church are afraid to talk about their life story because they're all they're thinking to themselves is if I tell someone this, boy, I'm going to be so judged by it. When really, when someone comes to a place to share with you their life, what a blessing and a privilege to say, tell me, tell me everything because you are no worse than me. The grace that saved me is the grace that's going to save you. Young people, I challenge you. When's the last time you really told someone trustworthy what's going on in your life? How afraid and ashamed would you be to come up to me and say to me, Barry, look, I've done this. I need God's forgiveness. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to be ashamed of. The only shame is not facing it, hiding it, putting it in your pocket. Hopefully it will go away one day. Only to realize that one day you open up your pocket and it's a dirty smell because you haven't dealt with it. 
nothing to be ashamed of. You can come up to me and tell me anything you've done. Nothing will shock me. And what's most important is that Jesus is ready to forgive. But this man's making assumptions, half-truths, looking at glimpses of her life and thinking to himself, you know what, I've worked out, I know what it's like, I, I know what she's like, but at the end of the day, he doesn't. And he can't even, hasn't even got the heart of God in this. Jesus said this, he says, judge not, for you, and, and that you not be judged. For what the, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This isn't a verse that says never judge, this is a verse that says be careful when you judge. Because whatever you judge with, you'll be judged with as well. Whatever measure, benchmark you use, that'll be the benchmark used against you. And so this man's in a probably a bit of a risky position by doing this. He's turning someone's sincerity into something negative. This woman's full of sincerity and he's turning it into something negative. Because brothers and sisters, he says, isn't she a sinner? aren't we all? Weren't we all? As if some some have managed to escape the title of sinner. I I see he's a man who's failed to understand the mercy of God and is making judgments on his own righteousness. He's comparing righteousness rather than the mercy of God. Now listen, look at verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. I love this verse. And it can be misunderstood, not misunderstood, it can be overlooked. Jesus didn't turn around and say, Simon, what are you on about, mate? He doesn't attack Simon. You, come here. I've got something to teach you. No, he has a conversation with Simon. So much so that the manner in which Jesus said this, I assume, would have made Simon respond by saying, Teacher, tell me. Because here's a conversation. Because Jesus isn't about, oh, yes, yep, I, I knew it, Simon. I knew it. There's sin in your heart. And it just proves to me the sin in your heart, I'm not telling you anymore. No, he takes the opportunity to have a conversation because for Jesus, Simon is also his desire. Because this woman sees it, but Simon doesn't see it. She doesn't flick him off. He also wants Simon to be saved. Sinner and righteous, so to speak. So Simon says, okay, teacher, tell me. What do you want to tell me? There was two creditors. Uh, sorry, there was a certain creditor. That's someone who loans money, yeah? Who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, which was probably a year and a half worth of work. And the other owed him 50 denarii, which is probably about a month's worth of work. And when they had nothing to which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to them, you have rightly judged. I think that's pretty clear what he's trying to say, isn't he? I don't think it needs much explanation. If you know the weight and the volume and you're feeling this morning like you are the worst sinner in this room, then guess what? 
you're the one that's going to love him the most once you taste his mercy. You know, the Bible says that when sin abounded, what, what abounded also more? Grace abounded even more. So when, when, when sin was abundant, when sin was abundant, grace was more abundant to keep us in our sin, <laughs> to get us out, to get us out. It's like a man who's drowning in the sea and we, we look at it like this, someone's throwing us something to save us and they throw it out and it comes this much short from us and we're thinking that's how God is. It's like, it's, oh, it just, it's just not long enough. But God's grace is like a rope goes twice your length, twice your distance. Because where sin abounded, grace even abounded more. That's why I believe, brothers and sisters, and I want you to hear this very, very carefully. The magnitude of your sin, the volume of your sin, should be the reason why you run to Jesus, not run away from Jesus. I don't know. Is your current sin working for you? Is it, you know, you're unhappy? You're unsatisfied? Is it working for you? If it is, that's fine. You don't need Jesus. But I tell you the truth. If this morning you feel the weight of it, you think, Lord, I'm done with it. Then Jesus asks you to come to him so you can have rest. He'll turn ugly into beautiful. He'll turn ugly into beautiful. Verse 44, then he turned and said, he turned to the woman, interestingly, he turns to the woman and then says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not even anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my head with her fragrant oil. Did we see Beautiful contrast between religion and relationship, duty and love. You can know which one's doing religion and which one's doing relationship. You know who's doing duty and who's doing love. I don't know, why was Simon so hesitant not to wash Jesus' feet? Why was he hesitant not to kiss Jesus' feet? Jesus said, you didn't do this for me. Why was Simon so hesitant not to anoint his feet with fragrant oil? Why, why did Simon not think of it or refuse to do it? Was he concerned? Because if he did it, what would people say? If he came and humiliated himself, in his mind, I would say humbled himself, to wash the feet of... Was he really was he concerned that what people are going to think? Just like people who hear this message and they say... But if I, if I stand up and, and give my heart to Jesus, then what are people going to say? <laughs> Maybe someone's watching. Maybe the camera's on me. That's fine. Don't, don't stand up. Don't stand up. Because the one who's overwhelmed by their sin will jump up. See, the hesitancy, I think, I think, 
was pride, I think, was pride. So it'll cost you. It'll cost you humility. But the relief is far greater than the humility. Now, I get this for this woman. I want to just, a bit of a twist to this story, if, if I may. I get it for this woman that she came to Jesus weeping, remorseful, repentant, and wanted forgiveness. I get it, and beautiful. And this woman is a beautiful example of what faith looks like. And I don't know, I suspect, I suspect there's probably enough in the scripture to say that this woman's faith continued on afterwards. But I know, and I've met people whose lives are like this from the start. Their faith starts like this. But something along, along the journey takes them to a different path. And I don't know whether you're on that path today. You started like this, you were weeping over your sin, you, you, you experienced the mercy of God, you know what it felt like to experience his love, but, but somewhere along the way, it started really well, but it's kind of somehow become something else. And, and there are people who come initially and they can't help themselves but wash the feet of Jesus, but somewhere along the lines, they are start to expect others to wash their feet. They, they, they kind of lose the vision or purpose of why they were saved. There, was, there are some who will pour out their old lifestyle to Jesus right from the start, only to find that months and years down the track, they're trying to scoop their old lifestyle back into the jar. Maybe they can somehow get a little bit back in there again because they kind of feel like that's what they need again. Maybe that's where you are. And even for you today, brothers and sisters, even for you today, if you feel the weight of that, that's because the Lord's calling you to say, I'm still merciful. I'm still merciful. If you've been groveling the ground, scooping your old lifestyle back into the alabaster jar and you've kept it in case one day you wanted to scoop it back in rather than smashing it, then yeah, I'm here for you as well. I don't know, I can't comprehend his love. If it was me, I'd probably say, get out. But because his love is in me, because his love is abounds, his love continues to this day. And today, if we hear his voice, the Bible says, harden not your heart. Verse 47, the Bible says, Therefore I say to you, her sin, or Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. How do you fall in love? Well, once we know this mercy, we can't help but fall in love. And I'll take it a step further, I think. When we, when we, when we uh, continue to show this mercy, we continue to keep falling in love what's fascinating in this is this woman who was a sinner this woman by her own life taught this pharisee who is a religious leader the profound truths of god how do you explain that unfaithful woman who's considered to be an outcast and on the fringes of society, 
probably uneducated, scraping up for a little bit of money through a lifestyle that wasn't, was considered sinful, scraping up what she can, was able to profoundly teach a religious leader because it wasn't about what she knew, it's about who she knew. And her life was changed. And so Jesus uses her example to teach him, Simon. And he ends with this. And I'll end with this as well. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. And don't you, don't you love these last three words? Go in peace. Because you didn't come peaceful. You didn't come peaceful, I know that. But you've been forgiven. You've had enough faith, a little bit of faith, to come and ask me for forgiveness. To come and demonstrate to me your sorry, how sorrowful you are. And now, go in peace. Jesus rescued her to go in peace. He didn't rescue her to go and continue her sinning. He rescued her to deliver her from the things that bound her. And that's what he wants to do for us this morning. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father in heaven, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy this morning that is demonstrated by this incredible story of a woman so desperately in need of your mercy. And you, Lord Jesus, so gracious and freely offering your gift of love, your gift of mercy, your gift of forgiveness. May the Lord bless you, as the Bible says, be gracious to you and make his face to shine upon you. God bless you. Let's all stand together. Let's all stand together and sing our final song.